time for another Basketball Insiders Podcast with your host, Steve Kyler. Welcome to another installment of Basketball Insiders, the podcast. I am Steve Kyler, editor and publisher of Basketball Insiders. Joining me as special guest in this edition of the podcast, he is Colin Terry, Colin Terry Basketball. Uh, Colin is a longtime friend, one of, I think, the the better skill instructors uh, you'll come across. He works with all kinds of different players, young players, high school level, college, and of course, pro level players. Uh, Colin, how are you, man? Doing great, Steve. How are you? Well, um, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do on a day-to-day basis. You know, I, I find myself wandering around the house kind of like I'm an old man, like lost my keys, like just tapping my pockets going, what do I do? Like, I don't know what to do when I'm locked down. And I yeah. would think at this point I'd kind of figure out a rhythm to it, I, but I do. I, f- I feel like I've lost my car keys. <laughs> uh, the funny part about this is, is I could totally visualize this. You just <laughs> going your house You've seen me kind of wander around somewhat clueless. It's kind of an everyday process for me. Yeah. Yes. I could definitely see this happening for sure. So. Well, Colin, um, like I said, one of the things I'm trying to do with the podcast through all of this is just kind of bring on people that I think have really interesting stories and kind of share their journey about how they got into this world and some of the things they've learned along the way. I've had a lot of our trainer friends, people you know, um, you know, I've had some a couple of agents that are in the group. We've had a couple of players in the group. We'll get some more of those. Um, So I just kind of, you know, flipping through the phone. I'm like, oh, CT, absolutely. Um, so just want to kind of start at the beginning, if we will, not like in utero or anything like that, but, you know, starting your playing days, you played at Utah for Rick Majerus, right? Yeah. So before I jump into that, Steve, I really, you know, appreciate you having me on anytime I can talk hoops and different things is, is always, uh, really, really fun for me. But, um, yeah, so I, I grew up in Salt Lake city. And when I was growing up, I actually went to the Rick Majerus basketball camp at the University of Utah. Started probably from sixth grade all the way to my senior year in high school. And I'm not even kidding when I say this. It it was the best basketball camp I've ever been to in my life. Um, In fact, a lot of uh, NBA head coaches would send their their kids to this camp. Um, And so... Through that process, I, you know, became acquainted a little bit with Coach Majerus and then um, was really lucky enough to to become a, a redshirt walk-on on the team. And it happened to be the year that we went to the Final Four. So it was a, a totally amazing experience. Um, you know, we, uh, we beat uh, North Carolina in the Final Four and then lost to Kentucky in the national championship game. So was definitely uh, an amazing experience being a part of that team and being around Coach Majerus for that season. Um, I was one of the guys that were on that roster. Was that yeah, one year, but it was the perfect year to be there. Was that the Keith Van Horn year? No. So Keith was actually a rookie in the NBA. So um, our, our, the guys that we had on our team that played in the NBA were Andre Miller, Mike Doliak, and then Hano Metala. Um, Dr. Doliak, huh? <laughs> yeah, Doliak. So, um, yeah, so we, um, you know, we, we had an amazing run 
And um, obviously, that was a huge credit to Coach Majerus. I mean, he, I, I don't think he gets the credit he deserved. Um, I mean, guys would go there and he would develop them so much. It was unbelievable um, why they were out there at the University of Utah. So um, he's had a huge impact on me and, and kind of my coaching journey. So going to the final four, again, you're a red shirt walk on. So it's not like you're the recruited guy that's going, yeah, we're, we're, we're supposed to be here. You're like, am I still here? Like at, at what point does it get crazy in that March up, like making the tournament when you're Utah and, and the teams that Rick Majerus had, it, it's almost like it was a bad season if you didn't make the tournament. So you kind of felt like you were going to make the tournament, but when one win becomes two wins becomes oh shit, we're in the sweet 16 or we're in the elite eight, you know, when it starts to get real that way, what is that moment like? You know, I think it's, I think it's surreal. Um, it, it really is surreal. I mean, the, the buzz around here in Salt Lake city was just unbelievable as well. I mean, it just, it was surreal. So I, I think where it really kind of set in that, man, we're, we're on a really special journey here is, uh, you know, after we beat the University of Arizona, um, a lot of, I don't know if a lot of people remember this, but the University of Arizona had won the national championship the year before, uh, had Mike Bibby, Miles Simon, and that, that group were a really, really, really good team. And, um, we ended up playing them and beating them. And I think that was where we were like, wow, I mean, how, how far can we go on this journey? So, um, that was, I think for me, really the game changer as far as that went. So you play for Rick Majerus. Is that when you started to go, you know, that's where I want to go, like get into coaching, all of that, because coaching came second. You, you were like a finance guy for a while. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think my story is pretty unique. Um, I actually, so I went, I was up there for that year. And then um, I went and did the, the two year uh, LDS mission, came back from my mission, didn't know if I was going to play basketball, ended up playing at a small school in California. Um, Played out there for a little bit, got bad shin splints, and decided to kind of move on from basketball. And so with my schooling, I ended up uh, doing a master's degree in financial services to be a financial advisor. I ended up doing that for probably six and a half years, was completely out of basketball, and um, but always just had this passion and desire uh, to to coach and help other players get better. And I kind of would do it here and there, you know, depending upon what part of the country I was living in. And funny story. So I'm working in finance, all this stuff. I'm living in Phoenix, Arizona. And a friend invites me to a Phoenix Suns game. And I didn't even know who they were playing. And I go to the game. They happen to be playing the Denver Nuggets. And uh, I hadn't seen Andre Miller in a while, who was uh, one of our top players at Utah that year that we went to the Final Four, reconnected with him. He invited me to go to Denver. 
the first day I'm there, he takes me to uh, Nuggets practice. I'm sitting there watching practice, just like, wow, like this is totally amazing. And uh, after Coach Carl comes up and um, he, Andre introduces me to Coach Carl. And uh, right then I'm, I'm just, you know, kind of chit-chatting with Coach Carl and he invites me to coach's only meeting. <laughs> and, and so I go to this coach's only meeting and I ended up spending a few weeks or a month kind of just as a fly on the wall, all access uh, with the Denver Nuggets. And it was the year that they had the 57 win season. So they were, they, they had a really, really good year. And after that experience, I went back to Phoenix and I said, gosh, I don't know how I'm going to coach basketball, but this is what I'm going to do. And so I just took a big risk, went all in, you know, started, you know, doing my own basketball skill development business down there, you know, and then uh, kind of that's brought me to where I'm at right now. So. So then you start scouting for the Northern Arizona Suns and our good friend Cody Topper. So that's kind of, you know, the doorway in. But you had been kind of before even that you had been around a little bit. You talk about the the time with George Carl, but it seemed like every other year you were in somebody else's gym. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that was a so just, you know, Coach Carl just being totally amazing, uh, letting me hang out, help out be a fly on the wall. That was a, that was a, a real game changer for me in, in my, my basketball journey because he had an amazing assistant coaches on that staff as well. And so I got to know some of them and that kind of, when they left and took other jobs with other teams, you know, it, it opened up other opportunities for me to, you know, kind of go watch or help or whatever but um, prior to, uh, you know, scouting for Cody at Northern Arizona, uh, I was an assistant coach at Salt Lake Community College. And my first year there, they, the previous year, they had won the national championship. And so they, had a really, they have a really good program there. So my first year was also uh, timed up perfectly with the Utah Jazz moving their G League team from Boise, Idaho into our facility at Salt Lake Community. So I was really lucky because I got to coach at a high-level JUCO and then also, you know, be around the G League every day. And so my second year at Salt Lake Community was when Cody got the head job last minute with the Northern Arizona Suns. And he hit me up and said, hey, you know, I know you're really busy being assistant coach at Salt Lake Community, but would you want to scout? And I said, yeah, I'd love to do it. So I was basically doing like two full-time jobs um, that season, scouting for Northern Arizona and then uh, working for Todd Phillips at Salt Lake Community. And Todd was really great and and let me do that, the G League stuff as well. And so that was big for me as far as actually getting into a, a coaching role in the G League. So, um, you know, it's kind of just all kind of falling together at the right times, you know, depending upon where I was at and what I was doing. And is that when you met Nick Friedman was when, did you know Nick before the Nas scenario? 
Yeah. So Nick, I didn't really, I knew him a little bit. Um, Matt Brossi, who's an assistant coach for the Houston Rockets. Um, I owe him a lot. I mean, he introduced me to Cody Topper, Nick Friedman and, and, um, I didn't know Nick very well, but through scouting and doing that process, you know, working with Cody and Nick on a regular basis, it was an amazing experience. And I got to know him really well. And I went to Northern Arizona for a week and, you know, spent time with them, which was really great during the season. And, you know, it just really kind of took our relationship to the next level because you're just in the trenches together. And then Nick has you come down to Miami. He was running at the time a, a program, basically pre-draft and pro training program out of Miami. Um, and now you're training NBA guys. You were down there. I think your gym at that time, who'd you have? You had Terry Rozier. You had uh, Ray Spaulding, uh, Dang Adele, um, and a list of others. I mean, the the list of guys that was down there with you guys was pretty impressive. Yeah. No, and 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 I can honestly say that – um, you know, Coach Majerus uh, is a big reason why I got into coaching. You know, he passed away um, that year and, and about six to eight months later is kind of when I went all in with coaching. Um, but Cody Topper, Nick Friedman uh, had a tremendous impact on me and my coaching development and, you know, all of that. And so Going down there with Nick, you know, Nick is like the head coach of the pre-draft. You could say that I'm, you know, was the top assistant coach. And being down there has just been unbelievable. I mean, we've, we've got some amazing players and it's just an unbelievable atmosphere, as you know, Steve. I mean, you've been down there before. Uh, it's just a big hub of, of, of basketball development and learning and things like that. And so being a part of the pre-draft the past two years, helping in a very small way, you know, four guys get drafted in the past two draft has just been a really, really great experience. And then you get the chance to be an assistant with the, uh, the main red claws. So you're part of the Boston Celtics organization for a minute. Um, what was that experience like? I mean, as a basketball guy, I never want to try to diminish any of the 30 NBA teams because if you can get on with any team, you are now among the elite of the elite of the elite. But the Celtics are are one of those organizations that's just the history, the legacy, what the Celtics mean to basketball, a little bit different than everybody else. And now you're at training camp with the Boston Celtics with all those banners on the wall. Yeah. No, I mean, that that was just... I mean, I'll never forget my first day, you know, so when I went out there, they had opened up a new practice facility and I'll never forget my first day going in there. I mean, it was just absolutely unbelievable. And, you know, for Coach Stevens to let us come and be involved at, at some level and, you know, help and watch and all that other stuff, it was incredible. I mean... You know, I, I consider, you know, Coach Stevens a, a top five coach in the NBA. So being around them, being around that team, that franchise that has so much history. I mean, one of the neat things in there is um, you go in there and you have the weight room and 
and hanging kind of above the weight room is just all of those banners. And I mean, it's just, you know, I know people say that, you know, New York City is kind of the mecca of basketball, but man, you know, going into the Celtics facility, being around them, it's hard not to feel like that's the mecca because of the history, the players, um, you know, you've got uh, Danny Ainge, uh, all these great people in the front office and on the coaching staff. I mean, really, Steve, it was, you know, kind of a dream come true situation for me. So as you try to transition into the, the, the coaching of professionals, it's a very different thing than, you know, training younger kids or training high school, college level guys, because those guys need you. Um, pro level guys don't always need you. Um, they, or maybe they do and they just don't know it, but they've got a whole lot of people that are willing to work with them. What's it like? What, how do you go about connecting with a player to get them to buy in? And the reason why I asked that question, and I'll, I'll go to Ray Spaulding, you know, you work with Ray Spaulding one summer, completely rebuilding his shooting mechanics. And Ray wasn't a bad shooter to begin with but you helped him become a very respectable shooter. And that could not have been an easy thing to do with a guy that had already been drafted, had already put big checks in his bank account, um, had been one of those guys. And you're not Brad Stevens. You're not one of these guys that has a bajillion YouTube followers and Instagram likes. And how do you reach players when you're trying to help them? Yeah. So I, I think it's everything, right? So, I, I, you know, hypothetically as a coach, you could, you know, be super knowledgeable and really good with footwork, fundamentals, technique, X's and O's, all that stuff. But if you can't connect with players, it doesn't matter. So connecting with players is everything. And, and it's, and it's important to do that, not only at the pro level, but every level of basketball. I think the biggest thing, Steve, that's helped me um, in this, in that process is you can't fake sincerity and genuineness. And, you know, I, I generally, I genuinely love what I do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful because I'm excited every morning to wake up, to do what I do. I absolutely love it. And, you know, whether it's working with the your, your players on your team or Ray Spalding, you know, like I really, really care about everybody I'm working with. And I think the biggest thing is, is that players can see that. They can see that, hey, like, yeah, this guy's asking me to do something very hard. It's getting me out of my comfort zone and I probably really don't like it but he's doing this because he really cares about me and really wants to see me get better as a player. And um, I think that's, that, that shines through. And I think in addition to that, Steve, is that, you know, by building that trust, by, by building that, you know, having that sincerity and genuineness come through, it also gives me the opportunity to have tough conversations with to the point where, Hey, like, listen, you know, you've got some great things in place here, but in order for you to get to the next level, you're going to have to change. You're going to have to get better. You know what I mean? And so, um, I think that's the big key as far as 
working with players at any level. What are some lessons you've learned along the way? Like as a coach, what are some of the things that you've learned? You know, maybe it's tips for people who are trying to get into this industry. Maybe it's, you know, things you've learned about what it takes to get, be successful. What are some of the things you've learned about all this? Yeah. So I, I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is I, I remember watching a clinic um, where Chip England, uh, assistant coach, development coach. Love Chip England. Really, really good. Really one of the best in the business at development and just all aspects of coaching basketball. Just going to point out, you've met my son. You've watched him shoot. Tell me how many of his techniques as a shooter are the things you've learned from Chip England because that's where I learned it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, tons, tons. He's, he's amazing. And so, but I remember watching him on a clinic and and his biggest thing was enjoy the journey, you know, enjoy the journey. So I think one of the mistakes a lot of people have in, you know, getting into this business or trying to stay into this business is um, there, uh, Steve, my screen just went blank. We good? Yep. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, the biggest thing is, is just kind of enjoying where you're at and whoever you're working with, it doesn't matter if it's a, a eighth grader or a high school player or a college player or a pro player. Okay. Treating them every opportunity, uh, as an opportunity for you, them to get better and for you to, to get better as a coach. And so I'm just a big believer in wherever you're at, do the best you can, you know, maximize your opportunity. I think that's really, really big. I think the other thing is, Steve, and something that's really helped me is build relationships without an agenda. Okay. So people at the pro level, the college level, especially if they're decision makers, they're getting hit up all the time by everybody for everything. And so how do you differentiate yourself? Well, the reason, the way I feel like I've differentiate myself is I just get to know them for them and I don't ask them for anything. And if something good comes out of it and an opportunity eventually comes out of it, great. If not great too, you know, I've just built another good relationship with somebody. And so I think that's been a big key for me is just really trying to help um, find opportunities to serve others without expecting anything in return. And I kind of think that there's, you know, the karma principle, right? You do that type of stuff and it comes back. And for me, it's kind of come back tenfold. So those are a couple things that I would, you know, highly recommend if, of the people that are trying to get into this business and, you know, get to the next level, whatever that is for them. I always joke that a whole lot of people said yes to me when they had no reason in the world to say yes to me and that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere in this business if a whole lot of people didn't take a chance on me that probably I didn't earn. Um, yeah. you know, as I look back at it and go, why did you say yes? Um, and I'm a big believer in you just have to pay it completely forward and don't look for anything in return. Like if yeah. you're, if it's all, 
if all of your relationships are transactional relationships, um, that's not a good thing. And I, I hope that's a reason why I have as many friends in this business as I do is because like you said, I, I generally am not looking for anything from anybody. Um, and I guess that's a good place to be where I don't necessarily need anything from anybody. Um, but for you, when you're building your relationships and you're building your network and you've got a pretty elaborate network, how much time does it take to get there? Like how long did it take you to build that network? Yeah. So I, I think that's a really good question. I mean, you know, I, I think that's a big part of this too, right, Steve? I mean, you can't rush the process. So well, our uh, good friend, Ryan Pannone, I remember this very vividly. You know, Ryan was working as hard as anybody, uh, came out to summer league and Cody Toppert had become a head coach. Nick Friedman had four or five franchises looking at him to be a lead assistant in the G League. And nobody's inter interviewing Ryan Pannone. And he's going, my resume is so much better than some of these other guys. You know, why isn't it happening for me? And I kind of use it the analogy of dating, right? When you're looking for a girlfriend, you're not going to find one. When you're just yeah. like going about your business, that's when she shows up. You know, and that's exactly what happened to Ryan was Ryan was not actively pursuing a head coaching job in the G League. And his agent called and said, you're the front runner for a job. And he's like, what are you talking about? Um, when you're waiting for it to happen, it almost never does, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And and I think a, a, an important principle that a lot of people miss, and you know, maybe not being as patient or trying to rush the process, is um, uh, is the thing is is that in that quote unquote downtime, there's a lot of opportunity to learn, grow prepare and get better. And, you know, if you really maximize the quote unquote downtime, um, when your opportunity comes, you're going to be so much more prepared and ready to, you know, embrace that opportunity than you probably would have been previously. So I think that's very, very important. And, you know, Ryan, that's one of the things I respect so much about Ryan is, you know, Ryan has grinded as much at every level as anybody. And, you know, he just continues to work hard. He stays the course. And last season was head coach in the G League, you know, and that's a big part of it. Um, and so, you know, that's one thing I tried to do with with all of this, this stuff that's happening now is every day I'm trying to learn, I'm trying to prepare, I'm trying to get better. And, um you know, I think there's an opportunity in, in every situation if we have that attitude and perspective. So you're really good at teaching through game film. I think that's a strength that you have that I, I see a lot of guys maybe not as good at. Um, you've watched a lot of great players. You've, you've coached some great players. You've developed some great players. You've played with some great players. What are the characteristics of a winner? What are some of the things that you that make up a winner. I mean, it's easy to say work ethic, right? Like the dudes that work really hard, talent certainly plays a factor, but what are some of the traits and some of the habits you think great players have? Yeah. You know, I, I think the, the biggest thing, um, is, is a level of unselfishness, um, you know, uh, to, you know, a, a good example is this is like, 
when we were in the G League, I was with the main Red Claws, not this season, but the past season. Um, you know, we would talk to guys, and, and Nick would do a really good job of this as well, um, is we would talk to these guys and say, listen, in college, you might have been the player of the year in, 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 in your conference, or you might have been a top five all-time player coming out of the SEC conference, which is a, which is a really, really good conference, okay? Um, but how are you going to get to the NBA, right? And a lot of that is, is sacrificial stuff. So it's sprinting corners. It's, you know, setting good screens. It's, you know, really a level of unselfishness, but also mastering the details. Um, you look at all the great players that are playing or have played, they were very, very good at mastering the fundamentals, the footwork, the details. So I think having some level of unselfishness is very, very important because at the end of the day, right, uh, we're not playing tennis. You know, we've got four other players on the floor with us. And so somebody that has that level of making players around them better, um, but also a master of the details, um, I think are two huge traits and habits that, that winners have. You see a lot of players. You've worked with a lot of players. Again, kind of prefacing, you've been around the block a minute. What are some things that just aren't being taught as you kind of look in on the game? I mean, you came up with Rick Majerus. That's one of the masters. You've been around elite level guys like George Carl, you know, one of the legends of the game. What are some things that you see maybe at the middle school level, high school level, college pro, things that just aren't being taught anymore? Yeah. So I think there's, uh, I think, you know, the footwork, the fundamentals, I think there's uh, too much of an emphasis of playing instead of, you know, working on the fundamentals, the footwork, the shot mechanics, things like that. Because one of the things and just working with a ton of, you know, kids at all levels, especially two, and then, you know, different players in college and at the pro level is, you know, you can play a lot of games. And I think playing is an important part of, you know, developing basketball skills. But if your shot mechanics, if your elbow's flying out every time on your shot and all you're doing is playing games, you're never really going to get better. And all you're doing is reinforcing bad habits. And so I think just balancing out, you know, playing all the time versus, hey, let's let's balance this by getting some, you know, skill development workouts in, really, you know, drilling down to the details, uh, the importance of shooting with a wide base, having my wrist cocked, you know, those those specific things. And then I think the other thing is too is I think we've done a good job in basketball to a certain extent of teaching players plays. But one thing that I think can really help them is teaching them concepts, you know, how to read and react to what the defense is giving them, you know? So if you're playing basketball in high school, college, you know, at the pro level, there's a good chance everybody's going to know your plays, maybe even better than you do. Some of your players do. Okay, so they know your plays. What do we do next? And I think that's where the conceptual game come, comes into play 
I think that's one thing that I've really taken from Cody and Nick and what they've done and taken it to a whole nother level is just teaching players concepts like, okay, the play breaks down. What is the defense giving us and making quick decisions to be able to attack it? Things like that. Um, I'm going to go here a minute because you kind of brought it up with Cody. Have you met a smarter offensive guy than Cody Toppert? Like I look at some of like the real offensive geniuses of the game. Um, I'm starting to think Cody Topper is going to be one of those guys. Yeah, no, I mean, he has a really, really uh, great mind for the game. Um, I think he should pay us for saying so much nice stuff about him. <laughs> I think he can afford to do it now too. Yeah. Cody Venmo is uh, 10 bucks each for all this uh, positive publicity. No, um, yeah, no, he's, he's got a really good mind of the game and, and, um, you know, he's been a great, great friend to me, uh, both him and Nick. And as I said previously in my coaching journey, I mean, I would say those two guys, you know, coach Carl, uh, Chad Iskey, an assistant with the Charlotte Hornets right now. Um, and I, I would say Aaron Turner, the agent. Um, has have have all had a huge impact on on my coaching development. They've given me opportunities. They've given me opportunities to to work with high level players. And um, you know, cl- you know, we we all collaborate and share ideas. And um, it's just been a very very beneficial relationship. So, um, yeah. Well, Colin, I appreciate you taking some time and jumping on the podcast. Um, you know, I wanted to make sure that as many people had interesting stories as possible. I could get them in, get them uh, on the podcast, have some fun with it. So certainly appreciate you carving out some time and making it happen. Steve, I appreciate you, man. <laughs> Hopefully you guys can get back on track and you're, you're not stumbling around your house looking for your keys. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's going to be a constant. I'm just hopeful I don't lose my shoes. Losing my keys and my shoes, I mean, shit, it's over. Um, we'll we'll see where that. Um, for everybody listening, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, you can check out Colin on Instagram. Colin's uh, one of those guys who puts out a lot of stuff. Uh, Colin Terry Basketball. Uh, keep it locked right here. Basketball Insiders. We've got a lot more guests coming up. A lot more podcasts. Trying to drop two or three a week. Um, keep you busy if you've got to stay at home for the next couple of weeks. So keep it locked here at Basketball Insiders and Basketball Insiders, the podcast. Like the podcast? Make sure to leave a comment or drop in a review after every episode. This has been an Insider Sports production.